This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, I'm Roberta Blevins, and this is Life After MLM, a podcast where we work to help end the stigma of failure in an industry systemically designed for you to fail. Join us as we dive into the real-life stories of survivors, experts, and advocates as we debunk the common myths and fallacies of cults, frauds, scams, and multi-level marketing. Join us all month for stories of true crime, true con, and urban legends from around the world. Happy Halloween, Hans. Hey, Hunbats and Hunbros. You notice a little chill in the air? It's the first episode of October. And the first episode of our true crime series. I love October. It is seriously my favorite time of the year. Halloween is my favorite holiday. But even going into the holidays is my favorite time of the year. And I double down on episodes. If you are new this year, just wait. So much stuff. The focus this month is true crime, true con, and folklore from all around. I've been gathering ghost stories, some that you told me yourselves, some that I found, some that are my own it's going to get really fun. And we have tons of really cool true crime and true con episodes coming up that I think you are really going to enjoy. But we are starting off with an MLM story that you have been asking for. If you follow me on TikTok and you heard me talking about the bomb party episode that I think we started talking about this in June, it's it's been a while. <laughs> it really has. It's finally here. And let me tell you a little story. This episode is the most cursed episode of life after MLM so far. We had so many issues with recording the audio. We had to record three different times. Kayla had issues processing the audio on the back end. Um, and it just, it's a labor of love, but honestly, we have been joking that this is the cursed episode. And so when I knew where I was going to put it, I decided to look for a story about a curse. And this episode is long, so I've cut it in half. The next episode will come out on Wednesday in just a couple of days, so you don't have to wait too long. And so I decided to cut up the curse story as well, because there is a fantastically delicious twist that I just, you're going to have to wait for it. It's just so good. Please don't Google it, because I worked so hard in this story, and and you're going to spoil it for yourself, and it's so good. So just wait, all right? This episode deals with MLM bullying, and there aren't really any content warnings other than that. I hope you enjoy this episode, and we will see you for part two on Wednesday. Bodie, California is a town out in the middle of nowhere, literally. The climate and topography remain godforsaken. 
On a map, you'll find it north of Mammoth, south of Lake Tahoe, and in the high desert east of the Sierras, near the Nevada border. Built in a mountainous bowl at an elevation of 8,379 feet, Bodhi roasts at 105 degrees in the summer and falls into sub-zero winters, and it is the most authentic ghost town in the country. It's so famous, in fact, that they built a state park out of Bodie, California. Today, it looks much like it did over 50 years ago when the last residents left. Everything in Bodie is part of the historic scene and is fully protected. Bodie State Historic Park is a genuine California gold mining ghost town, and nothing may be collected or removed from the park. But that doesn't stop people. During the California gold rush of 1849, gold fever swept across the Sierra Nevadas. When mining began to decline along the western slope, prospectors began to cross the eastern slope in search of fortune. By 1859, the eastern side was filled with gold seekers. In the low mountain foothills, four men discovered gold. They agreed to keep this place a secret until the following spring when they could set up their operation. One of the men, W.S. Bodie, decided to go back to their hometown of Monoville, which was a former settlement of Mono County, roughly 12 miles away, to get supplies for the following spring. Unfortunately, he was surprised by a blizzard on his way back and died alone in the snowstorm. His friends decided to name their camp after him. Two years later, in 1861, the Bunker Hill Mine was established, as well as a mill, and the camp was home to about 20 miners. Bodie grew slowly and was an insignificant mining camp for 17 years. In 1875, a freak accident caused a huge mine cave-in, which exposed a significant vein of rich gold ore. This allowed the mine to be sold to four partners, and the name was changed to the Standard Mining Company. Within months, Profits rose drastically, and the Standard Mining Company immediately turned the insignificant mining camp into a fast-growing, wild western town. By the end of 1878, Bodie's population had soared to 5,000. During those early winters, Bodie's citizens saw many hardships. Particularly devastating and cold, the winter claimed hundreds of lives from exposure and disease. Falling timber in the mines and the explosion of powder magazines took additional lives. Snow whistled through the holes and cracks in the meagerly assembled structures. Bodieites used newspaper and packing materials for insulation. Wood in the barren desert was hard to come by, and firewood was a commodity almost as precious as the gold that they were searching for. Citizens would hide dynamite in their wood piles to blow the hands off the town's infamous wood pirates. But in its heyday, Bodie was the archetypal gold rush boom town and boasted all of the elements needed for a perfect western. It was famous for its placer gold, horrible weather, and gristle-tough reputation. Miners, gamblers, and businesses continued to flood the area, and within the year, the population doubled in size to over 10,000 citizens, including sheriffs, bankers, stagecoach drivers, ministers, lawyers, gamblers, gunslingers, gold miners, and sex workers, who populated the red-light district called Bonanza Street. The town consisted of over 2,000 buildings, including over 30 gold mines, numerous brothels, multiple gambling halls, and opium dens as well as legitimate businesses, including three newspapers, several churches, a couple of banks, a jail, a cemetery, and a school. But every other building on the mile-long Main Street was a saloon, over 65 of them in fact, and to keep up with the demand, three breweries worked day and night, and whiskey was brought into town in 100-gallon barrels. Miners hauled millions in gold up from those pits. And while the boom lasted, some 30 companies produced $40,000 in ore per month for an overall total estimate of 90 to $100 million in gold over the next 25 years. They even built their own hydroelectrical center in 1893. 
which was well ahead of its time. But there was also a dark side to Bodie, where the blood flowed almost as freely as the beer and whiskey. Like many booming mining camps in the day, Bodie began to earn a reputation for violence and lawlessness. Death was a daily event. Robberies, murder, gambling, prostitution, stagecoach holdups, and gunfights were all common occurrences. Some of Bodie's bad men didn't even make it into the local cemetery. They were buried at Boot Hill Graveyard, which was also known as the Bodie Outcast Cemetery. Bullion guards with sawed-off shotguns were regularly sent to Charles Kelly, Bodie's leading undertaker. Shootouts in poker rooms of the Champion, Comstock, Aldridge, and Senate saloons were more common than busted flushes. In fact, back then, Bodie was better known for its crimes than for its riches. The town was described by Reverend F.M. Warrington as a sea of sin lashed by the tempests of lust and passion. The town church bells chimed with each man killed in sidewalk gunfights and poker room shootouts. Bodie's newspaper, the Daily Free Press, said the bells rarely stopped ringing. It was a great town for undertakers. There is a legend that says when a little girl heard that she and her family were moving to Bodie, she prayed, Goodbye, God. We're going to Bodie. The boom was just over four short years later, and by 1882, Bodie started to decline. The population dropped to 3,000, several smaller mining companies went bankrupt, and people began to leave the area in search for better opportunity. Maybe this is or isn't surprising to us, but despite the decline in the mines and the population, a Methodist church and a Catholic church were built the same year. The last church service was held in 1932. The Catholic church did not survive the years, but the Methodist church still stands today. And visitors these days leave money in the church, which goes untouched, blowing somewhat eerily in the breeze all over the church floor. In 1892, a fire destroyed much of the business district, depleting Bodie's population even more and causing additional mines to close. In 1895, production surged again with a new cyanide process that was used to extract gold from old tailings. Another fire destroyed the mill in 1898, but it was rebuilt the following year. By 1915, most of the mines had closed and the town had petered out. Bodie further declined as a result of Prohibition and the Great Depression, and in 1932, another devastating fire, caused by a -a two-and-a-half-year-old boy playing with matches, destroyed 95% of Bodie's buildings. However, a few people continued to live in Bodie until after World War II, when the very last producing mine, the Lucky Boy, was shut down. At that time, there were only six people left in Bodie, and five of these would soon die untimely deaths. When one of the men shot and killed his wife, and then three of the remaining citizens killed the murderous husband. The three men would all soon die of strange diseases. With the town empty, its residents gone, and its homes abandoned, by the end of the 1940s, Bodie was a ghost town that was visited only by tourists interested in its history. In 1962, after years of neglect, Bodie became a historic state park. Two years later, it was dedicated as a California historic site, and it has also been designated a national historic site. Nowadays, Bodie is a user-unfriendly tourist trap that draws a thousand people a day in the summer months, according to the park aides. Located 13 miles off the highway, the last three miles are unpaved and not for the faint of heart. Kept in a state of arrested decay, which means the remaining 168 buildings are protected, but not restored. It's a town-sized tombstone to the wild, dead west. Besides the remaining structures, there's also the Bodie Cemetery, with its spirited granite headstones and simple wooden markers, where about 150 people are still buried. Bodie's only other permanent residents are the park aides, who live in Bodie year-round in the Donnelly House and rough it through the winters by watching old VHS tapes. 
Outside, a steady flow of tourists wander through the dirt streets, peering through dusty windows and listening for ghosts. The most popular spots include the town store, the busted brick bank that was destroyed in the 1932 fire, the mines, the mills, and the museum, where you'll find the caskets, photos, trinkets, and artifacts of a dead town. The deserted desert streets are covered with their own souvenirs, from bits of old glass and rusty nails to an occasional forgotten coin. But park aides will advise you not to shoplift in Bodhi, not because of any moral or ethical code, but because of the curse. Bodhi is known universally and throughout history as a hard luck town born under a bad sign. And while placer gold riches poured from the earth, dark black clouds were never too far away. From the weather, the cavens, the crime, the fires, and the bad luck, a town with so much dark history is likely haunted, and some claim it is. The J.S. Kane House, at the corner of Green and Park Streets, once the home of a prominent Bodie banker and businessman, is said to be haunted by the ghost of a Chinese maid. She likes to appear to children who visit one of the bedrooms on the second floor, but doesn't seem to like adults. A ranger's wife had an encounter with her when she went to bed early and felt a heavy presence sitting on top of her. She panicked, feeling suffocated under the force, and started fighting back, which caused her to fall to the floor. Another ranger also had an experience in the same bedroom when the door suddenly opened and he immediately felt a presence and a suffocating feeling. The Gregory house is also said to be haunted by the ghost of an old woman. Guests and staff have reported seeing her sitting in a rocking chair, knitting an afghan, and other times the rocking chair has been seen rocking on its own. The Mendocini house is called home to several friendly ghosts. One is thought to be Mrs. Mendocini herself, who liked to cook Italian food, and rangers report that they smell her cooking when they enter her house. Others have reported party-like sounds and children's laughter coming from the next room. The DeChambeau house is also haunted by a woman who likes peering out of the upstairs window onto the streets below. The Bodhi Cemetery is haunted by the sweet little ghost of Evelyn, the three-year-old daughter of the town electrical engineer Albert Myers and his wife Fanny, who was accidentally killed in 1897 when she was hit in the head with a miner's pick. Her grave is marked with a child angel, and Evelyn is now known as the Angel of Bodhi. Her giggles are often heard in the cemetery. There was a well-known sex worker named Rosa May who had a heart of gold. She supposedly died tending to sick miners with pneumonia. Dan McMillan, the one-armed sheriff who also managed the baseball team and Mary McDonnell, the first postmistress. The post office is still one of the buildings that remains today. When people moved out after the fire of 1932, they packed up what they could get in their wagons and trucks, and the rest was just left behind. Less than 10% of the original buildings still stand. However, what is left looks much the same as it did when the last residents left. Many original items are still displayed in their final resting places, and as a result, today Bodie is one of the largest and best-preserved ghost towns in the West. According to local legend, the residents of Bodie were fiercely possessive and protective of their belongings in life, and it didn't change in death. The curse is supposedly perpetuated by the ghosts of Bodie who guard against thieves and protect its treasures. They want all they left behind intact, and so every item, big or small, has been cursed with a string of misfortune and bad luck. If a visitor dares to take anything, even a rock, from this gold rush ghost town, they will be cursed with bad luck, misfortune, and tragedy until the stolen item is returned. According to park rangers, many visitors who have taken things eventually return them to the park to rid themselves of this curse. Letters, mainly handwritten and anonymous, have been sent to the park and oftentimes the letters are accompanied by small items, such as nails or bits of glass. 
The sender is always very, very sorry for stealing the item, claims the curse does exist, and shares the tragedies that befell them from car accidents and losing their jobs to even becoming ill from taking an object. The curse, or attempts to gain good luck, may be one of the reasons that visitors leave money in the church. Purportedly, the park maintains a logbook of pages and pages of returned items. In the museum, a table sits, covered with bits of glass and metal, lined with letters from people apologizing for looting, telling tales of bad luck, tax investigations, car repairs, fires, and fights. For years, the guilty consciences of souvenir swipers have been sending their cries for help to Bodhi, detailing the misfortune they believe has plagued them ever since, and desperately returning their cursed items. But... What if the most curious thing about this so-called curse isn't even how deeply people believe it to be true? What if it was an act of park conservation that totally backfired? Welcome back to another episode of Life After MLM. You guys have been asking for this. If you are on TikTok, if you follow me on TikTok, and you are one of the people that have been waiting for the bomb party episode, this is that episode. I know I've been teasing, but here's the thing. When we recorded, I recorded between Courtney and Steve. And so we're kind of already on the, you know, it would have come out around this time anyway, without the technical difficulties that we had. I'm going to introduce to the show my guest, Amber, and then we're going to kind of talk about the technical difficulties, and then we're going to get in to her story because it is so juicy. So welcome, Amber. It's nice to see you again. Again and again. (laughs) (laughs) When Amber and I first chatted, it was when I had just switched up my recording software, and I didn't know that if she got a call in the middle that it would like drop the audio and it was this whole thing and so instead of driving Kayla crazy with so many tracks of audio to try to splice together we just decided to re-record our conversation and make everybody's life easier and hit all of the points the first time so it is so good to see you again I'm very excited to talk to you about this again you have updates since we've chatted that sort of add to the juiciness so I mean it's an even better episode than it could have been a couple months ago yeah, well, there's been updates. I think every time we've done a recording, I got my timeline and yeah. Perfect. <laughs> juicy, yes. So first and foremost, I know not everybody that listens to this podcast also watches on TikTok and knows what's going on over there. And that's really where I see bomb party the most. So let's start off by first addressing the elephant in the room. What is bomb party? So the moniker of bomb party is big southern family and it was started by two sisters sound familiar they created these wild lives i found one on youtube but it mostly started on facebook is really where it kind of went viral basically what they did was they had gotten jewelry and i don't know all the specifics of where they got it whatever i imagine at that point they weren't designing and manufacturing it over wherever the crap they're manufacturing it now but they would hand put them inside of ring bombs which at the time were the circles back when they were doing it and they would have a jar and drop it into the water reveal jewelry they custom designed jewelry is what they said and then it would be a pretty piece of jewelry and that's what people came in for and basically the gist of it is they're gambling for diamonds 
with this jewelry. Okay. $20 and you can find diamonds. Valued, I think when they first started, it was valued up to 500, but don't quote me on that. But it did increase over time to 750 and then a thousand. I think now 1500, I think there's even been a $2,000 value in there somewhere in some collection. It started with just rings with the two sisters. Then it was found that Lillian had some form of cancer. And so her sister, family, friends kind of rallied together to try to get this thing up off the ground while she was dealing with that, which, you know, despite all of the snarky whatever's on Reddit, TikTok, Facebook, whatever about the company, you would never want anybody, you know, wish any harm or any sort of anything like that on anyone. And so, you know, honestly, kudos to them for getting a business off the ground during all of that, you know, I mean, seriously, but she relied heavily on the people around her to help get the business off the ground when it first started. It did not start as an MLM, as most of these I'm now learning after doing some research, these companies don't. There's some Something happens. Like, does someone reach out to them? Like, how does that? I'm curious how that works. You have a podcast on that. But anyway, so, and then all of a sudden, I think it was in mid to like fall time of 2017 is when they opened it up and had people basically auditioning to become reps. Before that, it was Lillian and Bella. And then I think their friend, Anthony, who is a riot and me personally, like, he's like the party guy. (laughs) Like, when I think about it, he's no longer with the company. They opened it up for reps to join, I believe, in the fall, and people had to audition and submit applications, and they had this whole process, and finally they joined. But I think what happened was is they didn't have the product, and so they started with what they call glam boxes, which is now a collection that Bomb Party has, but back then it was like they would send them this big box of trash jewelry, like junk costume jewelry, kind of like paparazzi jewelry, I guess, is really what it looked like to me. (laughs) And they would have no idea what was going to be in the box. They could sell it for whatever they wanted to, but it ranged between, I think she said like five and $10, just depending on the piece. And that's how they started for a few months while they were waiting for production of the actual ring bombs to come in. And then once the ring bombs came in, the glam box back in the day went away. And I think they really started revealing jewelry early 2018. When they opened it up for open enrollment, because at first they did an open enrollment and then a closed enrollment, an open enrollment and then closed. They had a bunch of people join. And I think the reason why they did that, like most of the lens or whatever, was for production reasons, like making sure people could get the inventory, whatever. And then I believe in early 2020, and don't call me on this because I'm not 100% sure because I didn't join until July of 2020, but I believe it was in early 2020 when they kind of got rid of the whole open close room and it was just open season, join the company, make us lots of money. When that happened, obviously spring of 2020 is when COVID hit and everyone was at home and people needed something to do and people needed somewhere to spend that money they were getting from the government stimulus checks. <laughs> so bomb party blew the F up. Okay. Anyone that started, I honestly, I would say like before August of 2020 and stuck with it and wrote it out and were consistent and like, of course, recruiting and selling and doing whatever. If they're still there now, I mean, they're freaking making bank, like hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. Wow. So when COVID happened, I mean, they had a huge influx of reps. At the same time, the mailing and shipping issues, those issues came in as well. And so people were waiting three, four weeks to get their stuff. I know when I joined early July and I didn't get my stuff. And I think my launch party was like the last weekend of July is when I got my stuff. 
and I was so excited. I did not sleep like the whole month of July while I was waiting because <laughs> I was building my Facebook page, setting up my background, asking my bankrollers to buy me more shit for my business. <laughs> my mom actually was the one that told me about it. She and my grandmother had gone into a bank and they saw these girls exchanging like jewelry rings, whatever, looking at it. Ooh, oh, that's so pretty, whatever. And of course, you know, my Southern women in my family, they were being nosy. And so they're like, what is that? Like, what is it? So she was telling her and the girl ended up actually being one of my sidelines. And she referred my mom to my original upline, who is a lovely lady. Her and her mom are beautiful. And I still talk to them to this day. They're amazing. But anyway, so my mom started bugging me about the stupid jewelry. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not a jewelry person. Like, I wear this necklace that's got all my family members on it. Back then, I wore a locket with my daughter's picture in it and my wedding ring. Like, that's it. I don't wear jewelry. I didn't have my ears pierced. Now I have holes in my ears that I have to live with forever because I can't even wear the bomb party earrings because my ears are too sensitive or their jewelry's too crappy. I don't know. It doesn't matter. I can't wear them. So I wasn't a jewelry person at all. But I saw the first live I attended, which was when my mom was revealing her jewelry, I saw the potential for the business. I saw the marketing. And I mean, it's really smart. Give credit where credit's due. The idea, the way that they get people to buy these $20 rings that could possibly have diamonds in them and like get all those hormones running in your system and, you know, the serotonin and the dopamine and all that stuff. You know, I mean, they... Oh, yeah. Um, Really are good at it. I know I was trained and then trained my own team, like, draw out the reveal. Like, the longer you draw out the reveal, people are going to stay. More people are going to come in and then show the ring for a while so they see what it is and then go to the next. I didn't even buy the jewelry or own any jewelry before I joined the company. Wow. (laughs) Because when I saw it, I saw the business. Right. (laughs) Not an easy sell. But my mom loves jewelry. I mean, she's all into that stuff. And so, and her ring was pretty, it was cute. It looked really good on screen. And also I really liked when I kind of did the research into it after the fact, when I was looking into it, my original upline, she was called the bomb.com. Super cute. She like had her thing. She'd wear a headband, cute little blonde Southern girl. What made her different was she did a side-by-side. So she had like basically a gaming software that her brother helped her set up where she was main screen. And then there was the ring that was on a spinner up in the top corner. And then she had like a sidebar with her inventory and what she had left. Wow. Back then, what you see some people doing now with like the big screen TVs on TikTok and stuff behind them. But back then, that was a big deal if you had inventory or not, because it was one, so hard to get inventory. And two, the field hadn't grown like it is now. And so, you know, someone that had 10 to 15 items, I mean, like they would sell out. Like, I mean, they couldn't keep inventory on hand to sell it. Well, you're saying all of these things and I'm very triggered. And I think all of my LuLaRoe girlies that are listening are triggered too, because this is exactly what it was with LuLaRoe, except it was leggings, right? Not Mm -hmm. jewelry and Alka-Seltzer tablets. (laughs) This is, and that's what bomb party is. It's jewelry in fizzies. They're not bath bombs. You're not putting them in a bathtub. They don't have any body care at all. It's it's a fizzy. I forgot about that. Yeah. They have, we have our own spiel. This is they're ring bombs, not bath bombs. They're not a, intended for you to take a bathroom. There's no essential oils, fragrances, or anything. They're designed to be revealed live with all of your friends. Invite your friends. I mean, it's like a whole spiel. Right. Yeah. Because I've seen people like put them in the bathtub and go, this is a really weird bath bomb. And it's like, it's not a bath bomb. It's just a fizzy. It's just. It's baking soda and water is what they say. Yeah. It's just fizzy. So 
they do that very cool right it reveals this ring and everybody's like "Ooh, ah i want to do it it's like the pearl party it's like how many pearls am i going to get what color are they going to be guaranteed to get something the frenzy of it reminds me of LuLaRoe. The unexpected is like when we would get a box of leggings, you know, we'd be like, everything's a surprise. Yeah, we're going to have a, a surprise mm-hmm. leggings. I'm going to get this box of, you know, a hundred leggings and we're going to open it up live and sell it all live. The surprise of that, of people being like, oh, I'm coming in to see what she's got. She's got all this stuff. I got us sold. I want to be next. Mm-hmm. And it's just a more sophisticated system because you guys have like, you sign up, you go to the link, you sign up, you pay, you get on a list. And then you watch it live and then they open your fizzy bomb live and you get this ring. I've seen it. And here's the other thing. Another reason that you might be like, I've never seen this before. I don't really see this on Facebook or Instagram. I see this almost exclusively on TikTok. And these videos are going viral. Yeah, it's pretty much on TikTok now. So when I started, it went viral on Facebook and that's where everyone was. And then, so Facebook, we're having issues with people getting reported. And the algorithm changes because we all know Facebook algorithm. So I would say in, I really want to say in 2021 is probably when everyone started getting really screwed by Facebook. It was because Facebook realized a lot of these people were going on live selling because it didn't really exist before then, right? On social media, like this live selling concept where you would be live and like the comments sold even with like the boutiques, like it just wasn't really a thing until these Bomb party, pearl parties, even the boutiques that would go on there doing it. And Facebook, listen, money's money, okay? Facebook realized, well, we can make money off of these people. And they kind of got greedy. And so what they started doing is like, you kind of had to pay to play. So you got to pay for advertising. And there's even options now, I guess, where you, we've talked a little bit about where you pay for the users, viewers and commenters and whatever. But when Bomb Party started doing that, what they didn't realize is these reps aren't rich and they're not going to pay for the advertising. In fact, our uplines were training us not to pay for the advertising. We had social media managers that Bomb Party used to pull in that would train us to not. Wow. A lot of people were like, well, screw this. So they were looking for somewhere else. Some people had tried YouTube. That really didn't work because there's different things with YouTube in order to get pushed out. People had tried with whatnot, which is like an auction type of thing, which that really didn't work either because it didn't really fit with our the way that we did things. Some people lately have tried. There's some other app now too. I can't remember what it's called. It's nasty though. And then TikTok happened. And the people that went viral on TikTok, I believe they switched from Facebook to TikTok probably like early to mid 2021 and they just took off. Well, it took a little bit for the people that were on Facebook to kind of jump over to TikTok because it's new and scary. And honestly, a lot of the people that were in Bomb Party were middle-aged women. I would say late 20s to like mid 40s was probably the range. And our customers were about that range too. And so most of us were all still on Facebook for that generation. Well, then TikTok kind of changed. So now you have more people of that generation on TikTok, plus you got your younger kids. And it's, I don't know, it's just so much bigger. You have like the post you can do with the music and it it just, it was more fun, if I'm being honest, to switch over to TikTok, but it was scary. And so a lot of people didn't, but the ones that did, they're making bank. And so now you pretty much see it almost exclusively on TikTok. And a few people will stay on Facebook just because of their Facebook people, which are usually like the older people or the people that are like still like, no, I'm not doing TikTok. And so that's, yeah, that's kind of the way that uh, Bomb Party kind of transitioned over to TikTok.
Do you ever wonder how much of your personal data is out there on the internet just for anyone to find? I promise it's more than you think. Your name, contact info, social security number, home address, even information about your family members. It's all being compiled by data brokers and openly sold online. This can lead to a lot of problems, including identity theft, phishing attempts, harassment, and unwanted spam calls. But now you can protect your privacy with Delete Me. Signing up for the service is super easy. Just provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. They send you regular, personalized privacy reports showing what info they found, where they found it, and what they removed. I got my report, and I was floored with the results. Of the 105 data brokers they checked, 83 of them had my data. Delete Me then removed 173 listings of my personal data off the internet. And they make sure that it stays off too. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me at a special discount just for our listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash MLM and use promo code MLM at checkout. The only way to get the 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash MLM and enter code MLM at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash MLM code MLM. Head over to quince.com and grab yourself a little something something and support the show by supporting our sponsors. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and say hello to lightweight fabrics and classic styles. I have been taking advantage of the beautiful weather and getting outside for daily walks, and I cannot say enough good things about the flow knit high-rise boyfriend jogger from Quince. Seriously, running errands, doing school pickups, swinging by the farmer's market, or taking Jaja for a stroll around the lake, these bad boys are versatile. I love the deep pockets, the high waistband, and the internal hidden drawstring. They're quick drying, moisture wicking, antimicrobial, and the four-way stretch makes them so comfortable. They're made with 88% recycled polyester, and the Global Style Standard Certified Yarn dramatically lowers environmental impact by diverting landfill and ocean-bound plastic. Not to mention using recycled claim standard-approved dyeing, washing, and manufacturing processes with low water and eco-friendly dyes. They have become an absolute favorite, and you can save up to 59% off the high-end counterpart by shopping with Quince. Throw on a Cotton Modal scoop neck tee and some sneakers, and you've got a perfect, effortless outfit. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash MLM for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash MLM to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash MLM. It's very interesting because I don't think I've ever been through just scrolling through the TikTok live feed where I haven't come across at least two bomb parties that are active and going on. And there's so many people in the comments and mm-hmm. there's so many people. Not, I mean, it's I mean, I get it. I understand there's the dopamine manipulation, just like LuLaRoe. And it's in that height right now where everybody's like, oh, my God, I need to do it. Just like LuLaRoe. I totally get it. It's like flashbacks all over again. And even the stories you tell me, I'm like, oh my gosh, yes. It's a very interesting machine that Balm Party is. Like the people when you're watching. So some reps are more entertaining than others. Right. Some reps say they're doing it for charity or for a cause or whatever, which that 
irks me to no end when I see that because there's no proof behind it. And there's been people saying that's not really what's happening, which, you know, I don't know. But regardless, there's all these different people on there. So people can find whoever they're drawn to. And then even the people they're not drawn to, but are just annoying or train wrecks, like they get tons of viewers too, because everybody likes to stop and watch a train wreck happen. No, I absolutely do know because all of that kind of stuff, like, yes, I remember when live selling became a thing, there was an app called Periscope that a lot of people in LuLaRoe used and then Facebook Live came around and they all sort of switched over to there. Most people though, doing Facebook Live and selling were being sold in like private groups that you had to join to get into because they weren't just live selling. We did start live selling on business pages in the very beginning and there were people that use software, but it really has grown a lot. And interestingly enough, you mentioned comments sold and comments sold was created by LuLaRoe retailers. It was something that LuLaRoe used and they actually just ended up turning it into something for like all of like live selling, which I think is brilliant that they did that. Now that you say that, I remember Zendesk, I think, which is now ship.com is what Bomb Party used. And I remember going on there and you could select your logo or business and LuLaRoe was on there. And it's, I think that's what had the comment sold feature as well that integrated. That's interesting. Yeah. I never like even thought, yeah, thought about that. Well, aren't you just pioneers? <laughs> so one of the other things that you mentioned about being unique to Bomb Party that, you know, there's always a hook, right? There's always a hook. Yeah. And Bomb Party gets you coming back because the rings can actually be valued and appraised for much higher. So you're spending, what, 20, 25 bucks or whatever to get something that could be, like you said, up to $1,500. So let's talk about the diamonds and how many diamonds you experienced, how many diamonds you've seen. Like, I know that there are diamond stories and I know you have them. So let's talk about them. So I'm triggered by the diamond story because I didn't reveal diamonds until November of 2022. And I had a big team. My first year, I had pretty good sales. I was one of the top on the team. Now, like top on the team looks a lot different now because it's just blown up so much. But back in my heyday, okay, I was doing pretty good. (laughs) I was top seller over sizzle fizzle. Okay. So, you know, just kidding. (laughs) Here's the thing though. First, I forgot to mention this. This kit started with a $99 kit, which was all the junk you needed, plus a five pack sizes six through 10. And that's all you got in the starter kit, which obviously isn't enough to start any business. So when I started, that's all they had available. Now they have three different kits ranging from 99 to 599. And then there's a 366 in the middle. Once you get your kit, you can then buy this inventory. And speaking of the diamonds, as I'm getting into this, is the collections that they have. They have special collections with the rings. They have birthday collections with the rings that have now added rings, earrings, and necklaces. That is a guaranteed birth type stone in that collection, which is kind of a point of conversation now because they're not really right birth stone and people aren't really digging it right now. But anyways, and they're actually doing a price increase of those in January. Anyway... There was also a point where they did some incentive. If you joined during a certain time, you would get guaranteed diamonds and starter kits. That'll be important in a minute. There's no guarantee. They say nobody knows where the diamonds are going. I personally don't believe it. I did a tour of the home office back when we did our first in-person convention in 2022. Okay. And we walked through and everything and they have their diamonds set separately, like behind a fence locked in place. They're not mixed in, but then they mix them in. 
So just know that in the back of your head. I don't know. It's a little shamey. Anyways, you get these rings, you can find diamonds. If you find diamonds, it's mass chaos. I personally am a little extra. And so I was screaming and super excited and now watching the video back now I'm just like I'm really that's ridiculous and I'm super embarrassed <laughs> it reminds me like when you do your side-by-sides watching your your Lula hun and I'm like it is weird right looking back and going oh my gosh I can't believe I said that did that looked like that wore that yeah here's the thing though is like when you look back on your experiences with these situations like my feelings were real. Mm-hmm. The first diamonds I personally revealed were for customers that I had had since the beginning when I first started. Like the first month I revealed stuff. And we had become friends over the year and they were supportive of me. We had done like little vacations together. And then my customer, who's still a really good friend of mine, bought a ring and I think a necklace for, yeah, it was a ring and a necklace for her friend who she met through my live because she was having a really hard time. She had surgery and just was kind of down or whatever. So she's like, hey, I want to buy this for her. Can you reveal it for her for her birthday? I just want to make her feel good. I was like, you're the sweetest. And so when I did that reveal, not only was it my first diamond, but it was my first diamond for one of my first customers. It was my first diamond for one of my first customers who had bought the jewelry as an act of like love. Right. You know, and so it really didn't mean a lot to me because that to me, out of all of the BS that I dealt with and still deal with with Bomb Party, what really mattered to me and was really important to me were the real relationships that I made with some amazing people that I met. Absolutely. When I revealed that, I was extra, of course, but the emotion was real. Was I a little over the top? Yeah, because that's just me in general. (laughs) But I was genuinely happy and I was genuinely shocked and it was... A really beautiful moment for me and for them. The necklace I revealed in November last year, 2022, was a genuine aquamarine and diamonds, and it was valued at $750. The second ring I revealed in December was for a customer who is a friend of one of my downlines, and the ring was hideous. It was a lab-grown sapphire with diamonds for $750 retail. Okay. And then the third one I revealed was spring stacks, which would have been I revealed in March, I think, maybe February, March. I don't remember. Anyway, it was a $1,500 stack set that had genuine, I think you pronounce it a gate. I don't know, some quartz stone. Agate. Agate. Mm-hmm. And there's another thing, Bombard doesn't educate their field on terminology and stuff, which is like, it irritates me to know. Anyways, and then diamond, it was like a little butterfly charm with diamonds. Okay. And they were saying it was $1,500. I'm getting specific about what it is because that's been the biggest point of conversation when talking about bomb party diamonds. You think you're going to reveal a $1,500 diamond that's like a diamond. Okay. My wedding ring is real rose gold, genuine morganite. It's pretty big stone Two, I want to say these are like quarter carats diamonds on the side and like little pave diamonds. Okay. This ring was $1,200. All right. There's no way in hell that some of these diamonds that people are revealing in Bomb Party, that those MSRPs are like market value. There, there's just no way. And, you know, you want to get excited about the diamond reveal, whatever, call it whatever, like do your thing. But like, come on, let's be real here. The bracelet stack that I had revealed, I revealed for a friend of mine who lives by me. And so after our first interview, and then you told me that it went kaput uh, with the audio, I reached out to her. I was like, hey, do you mind if, because I didn't have any, I never revealed diamonds for myself. I was like, do you mind if, if we take that to the jeweler? I'm just curious, like what they have to say. And I want to hear it in my own ears. 
and I'll record it and whatever. And so we went and he laughed at me when I told him how much I paid for it. Oh, no. Because I told him I paid $1,500 because that was the value. And he looked at me and laughed at me. And this is a fine jewelry store. It wasn't a box store either. It wasn't Kay's. It wasn't Jared's. I mean, it was a fine jewelry store that was like a family-owned fine jewelry store, okay? Which they're known for jacking up their prices anyway. And so the fact that he's laughing at me, (laughs) I was like, what the hell? And I was like, okay, well, how much would it be to get appraised? And he goes, well, if you want to get something like this appraised, it's going to be like two to $300. He's like, but I wouldn't even waste the money because it's not even going to be worth that. Wow. My feelings were hurt. Anyway, I did record him putting the little tool on it and it beeped green. They are real diamonds. So I will say that they were real diamonds, but we all know gemstones, diamonds, jewelry, whatever. There's different qualities and clarities and all of this that plays a huge part in to the value and price of the jewelry or of the stone. So I'm not an expert. But I just don't feel that the MSRP that they're giving the jewelry matches the quality and clarity of the jewelry. I just don't. No, of course not. And that's my personal opinion. I agree with you. That would also be my personal opinion. I've seen the live openings. I've watched it. I've seen, you know, the rings that come out of these. Some of them sometimes are kind of cute. I mean, that should tell you enough right there. But only sometimes kind of. The biggest issue that we were having... Me and other, you know, now that they're team leaders, whatever, like we have conversations. These people want to act like they're not having these off color conversations behind closed messages, but we all talk about it. All all of them talk about it where we're like, our customers don't even want the stupid diamond settings because they're hideous. Like they'd rather have, you know, the go-go or they'd rather have whatever the jewelry design of the month is. That's what they want. They don't want the diamonds because they know that they're just little dinky pave stone, whatever with some lab created stone in it. And nine times out of 10, they don't like it anyway. Yeah. And it's not like, yeah, cool. They only spent $20 for it, but it's like, if I get a diamond and that's what the excitement and all the buildup is for. And then I reveal this thing that looks like a damn peacock. I'm like, what the? Yeah. You're like, oh, that's my diamond? Oh, man. And then you're like, oh, then you like get right down with it. Now, I have seen some really pretty diamonds. In fact, a friend of mine um, who just left Bomb Party threw all of her shit in a jar and revealed it. And she revealed a Morganite, which everybody on my team knew and all my customers knew because I talked about all the time. Like, I would show my wedding ring because I love my wedding ring. And they knew that I love Morganite. I love rose gold. And so she revealed a Morganite sterling silver diamond setting and uh, gifted it to me because she's such a sweetheart, which the gift and the thoughtfulness is what I love about it. There's jewelry that has meaning that's pretty or whatever, but then there's some that just aren't. And so, you know, to have that huge buildup and then that letdown, it's it's a lot of roller coasters of emotion. (laughs) I really struggle with the whole manipulation and marketing tactics that some of these reps are trained to use. And I was using and taught and whatever, like, I would just like to say, I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry. Yeah, I feel you. I was just going to ask you about the whole front loading aspect of this, because obviously you as a rep, you have to have these things on hand because you're doing this live. You're hoping people get in line. You're hoping people click the form. You were very successful. You had a big team you made big bonus checks and had a pretty successful business in Bomb Party before everything that we're about to talk about happened. 
I just, the front loading, I know that you showed me your trays because here's the other thing, right? Like you got to get people on the live to be excited and to want to buy. So every now and then, just like LuLaRoe, you got to throw a freebie out there, right? You got to throw, I'm going to send you a pair of leggings or I'm going to reveal a ring right now for free. And then you could give it away as something or whatever somewhere else. I'm going to ask you, <laughs> how many trays of rings do you have that you either open for yourself online because you wanted to or because you just needed to get people interested. How many of those rings do you still have or did you open or in your possession? I'm happy to talk about it. Too many because I remember I told you earlier. Right. You're not a jewelry person. I'm not a jewelry person. First of all, I have a closet. I'm just going to tell you what I have right now. I have drawers full of stacks, bracelets that I bought these like containers that you put them like actually in the little boxes and then you can stack them up. And I have a drawer, like a dresser drawer full of those. I have the over the door hanging necklace thing, literally full with so many necklaces. I can't even see what's in there. And part of that was because every, every collection that we would have, there's settings that I wanted or liked. Right. Okay. That's the marketing part. You're going to keep revealing till you get it. <laughs> and there's no gifting and there's no trading. Okay. <laughs> Box one. Oh no. Oh, and this is this is the jewelry box, by the way, that Bomb Party sells that you cannot sell oh. anything that you sell through Bomb Party. So you can't buy your own oh. box and sell them and make them cute for your customers or your violating policy. Wow. Okay. Here's another box. This is every many. These are my sterlings that I've revealed. Here's my rose gold box. Uh, how many rings do each of these boxes hold? Over like over 90. Oh, wow. Okay. And here's some special collections in there. Wow. Four boxes. And that's just four boxes. Plus I've got like two more of the kids boxes. Plus I have like a thing for earrings. And then my girls both have two boxes for the kids rings that they've revealed. It's a lot. It's probably thousands and thousands of dollars of just shit. For someone who's not a jewelry person. I mean, like, that's what I want people listening to be like, well, you know, it'd be really great because I don't really like the thing that I'm going to sell. So I'm not going to be buying my own supply. But here you are. You're not a jewelry person. <laughs> You got to wear it if you're marketing it. <laughs> you have to be a product of the product and have rings on all your fingers and necklaces and earrings. You got your ears pierced specifically to wear bomb party earrings, you said? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I mean, that's on level, although I will say that, you know, you can take the earrings out, but that's on level of like making modifications to your body, like getting a tattoo. Okay. And here's the other thing. I worked for Nordstrom when I was a teenager. And so one of the rules Nordstrom had was you had to wear their stuff, right? I would have to buy designer jeans because I was working in the designer department. And so that's what I had to do. So like, I mean, it's not uncommon for that. The difference though is, is that Bomb Party didn't have that rule at first. And then I want to say like a couple of years ago, they changed the policy, which they've changed 50,000 times and it's annoying as crap. But anyways, they changed the policy to say we can't wear non-Bomb Party jewelry on live unless it is like wedding ring, a watch, or like some meaningful sort of piece of jewelry. Wow. You had to wear on your lives and at Bomb Party events, Bomb Party jewelry. I mean, it makes sense. If your ears aren't pierced and you're not wearing Bomb Party earrings, then nobody can ask you. Where'd you get those cute earrings? Yes. Well, that, and also I'm, I'm sitting here trying to sell them. And then they're like, which earrings do you like? Or do they mess up yours? Like, I don't know. I don't wear them. <laughs> I don't wear them. You feel stupid. And I actually would train my team. And I was trained by my uplines, the same thing. Like if you're selling something, you should be wearing it. I mean, and it's typical sales. Like it's not just bomb party 
Like, I'm not just saying it's bad with bomb party. I'm just saying if you're trying to sell something, you should be using or wearing it. But with bomb party, think about that with all the different collections they have. I mean, the reps are the customers. Right. Are there true retail customers? Sure, whatever. Okay, whatever. I've tried talking to people about this and it's like talking to a wall. I'm like, you guys do not understand. The reps are the ones who are up Shit's Creek when they buy 20,000 pendant necklaces that look like beautiful house curtain accessories. And now they're sitting behind them in stacks up on the thing while they've already released four other collections and now they can't get rid of that. Who, who paid for that? The rep did. Right. Bomb Party paid what? $2 to have the stupid necklace made? I mean, I don't know. I'm just assuming. Like they have to make a profit. Okay. Then the reps buy it for $20 with their 25% discount or whatever it is. And then it sits on a shelf. Who really lost all that money? Who lost more? That's my biggest problem. Yeah. The reps are the true customer. When you start to look at the wholesale price in MLM, you start to realize that's basically retail price outside of the MLM. Right. We bought leggings from LuLaRoe at $10.50 each, which is kind of what leggings cost. And even you can get them even cheaper than that at Walmart. Yeah. And then we resold them for $25. But if I didn't resell that legging, I'm still out the original $10.50. There's no website or there wasn't at the time. I don't know how they do it now. So you were making like, the profit was like $15 per legging. Yeah. See, bomb party reps make 25 to 37.5% commission, okay? So it makes it sound really good and grand. And this is what I don't think people understand. And I've been trying to explain it. What the reps are paying, like you said, is a rep retail, okay? But they say it's wholesale. Reps pay between, I want to say 13 and 20, sometimes $30, depending on the collection for each piece. Oh, wow. Okay. Because the rings are sold, $17.95 is the lowest price for the kids' ring. I think the highest price item that I've seen them sell is $49.95, which was, I believe, the glam boxes, which came with like a three-piece set. Okay? The reps get a discount of 25 to 37.5% off that. But Bomb Party is not manufacturing and making these pieces for $15. And I don't think that's what reps understand. Now I understand that there's marketing costs. I understand there's shipping costs that Bomb Party has to do. And like, they have to pay their corporate employees and like all this crap. I understand that, but they're not really assuming the biggest risk when it comes to purchasing the inventory. Because here's the thing. If you as a Bomb Party rep do not have inventory on hand behind you, you are not going to get the sale. Most likely the pre-orders are slow. Even worse with TikTok now, because it's so fast, you can have a customer coming in and then you don't see them ever again. And they go buy from five other reps. The pre-order situation, there's not very many people that pre-order anymore like they did when I first started. Pre-orders used to be huge. And then you go pre-order, you get your money, you reinvest it in more of that item, or you can pay yourself or whatever you're doing with it. Now, pre-orders are pretty rare. And so reps just sit here with all this crap behind them. And literally, it's like money on the wall. And they have, I feel, assumed the greatest risk in the company and are losing so much money. Yeah. Like, it makes me sad as I'm scrolling and I see these collections that I know are really old. And I'm like, how much money is that right there on that wall? Like, it baffles my mind. Absolutely. It makes me really sad. And we used to train our team. If you don't have it on hand, you can't sell it. So you need to have the inventory on hand. Now, I was one of the uplines that would say, 
Don't use Klarna. Don't overextend yourself, but you need to know. And in fact, I had like a whole Excel document that helped them kind of track and know how much they were spending and making so they could make sure that they had inventory on hand because I'm like, if you sell out, then customer comes in and asks for it and you say you don't have it, you can't sell it. Well, now you just lost possibly a customer's going to go somewhere else. (sighs) Some uplines are more ethical than others when it comes to that conversation. Yeah. But it just makes me sad, honestly. That's really what was happening in LuLaRoe too. We were told, you know, you've got to build your styles. Yeah. If somebody comes in and they don't like that, if they don't like stripes, if they don't like flowers, you got to have solids, you got to have that. So you have to order more boxes so that you can have more variety. And then you can have more variety of sizes. You can have more variety of styles. And then once you get to that sweet spot, you know, they always talking about the sweet spot, which is like, you know, like 10 of each size in each style, which is absurd to have 10 in each. I think we carried eight sizes. So I'm supposed to have 80 garments for every style. Like that's absurd, right? But that's, that's what you're always pushing for. You got to get there. That's the sweet spot. Because if you walked into Target and they only had one rack and they only had three pairs of leggings, Mm -hmm. somebody would go, I don't like this one. And they'd walk out and they'd go to another Target. That's what they would say all the time. I'm like, oh my God, they're totally right. You know what I mean? God. Yes. I hate it. I used to use the analogy of bread at Walmart. If you keep going to Walmart, every time you freaking go to Walmart, they don't have the bread you want, but the Kroger does. Guess what? Eventually you're going to quit going to freaking Walmart and you're just going to go to Kroger to get your bread and your eggs. Literally. Guilty. So, I mean, this is on the same exact train track as LuLaRoe chugging along. So let's start talking about when things started maybe not smelling so sweet anymore. So I am an army wife. We are a blended family. I met my husband in a domestic violence situation. We didn't start talking until about a year later when I contacted him because we were living like out of city limits. And I was like, I don't know what to do. Like, I can't go to this city or that city. Like, they won't help me. And he's like, well, you need to go to this city. And then I had questions about protective orders or whatever. So then we became friends and then we became lovers. And then (laughs) we have this beautifully blended family and I'm both a mom and and a stepmom. So we've got our kid together. I've got kids with my ex. He's got kids with his ex. It's just a lot. But at the end of the day, my divorce decree says I have to stay here where I'm at in the school district where I lose custody of my kids. And I don't want to deal with court. We're getting along great. Everything's going fine. I don't want to deal with it anymore. My husband is military. He's active duty military. And so military owns his ass. So if they say you need to hop on a plane and go somewhere and stay there for three years, that's what he's got to do. And I have to stay here. And so we have two separate households. He has, you know, apartment he pays for and the bills there and whatever. And then I live here. Um, We have to pay for him to fly home to see us. Sometimes like a couple summers ago, we all flew to see him. I mean, that's expensive. You know, it's a lot. But when all that was going on, we had to sell our home, which is my dream home, in order to downsize to afford that lifestyle. That was hard in itself. Really, the spring, summer 2021, 
which was a year after I started, which is right when I started to really rev up and get going, we were thrown this huge curveball. I had to make a decision where my family was more important to me. And at the time I had started growing my team where my sales were now equal to my leadership bonuses. Okay. So I talked about bankrolling earlier where my mom bought my stuff for me to get started. My husband bought my ring cam and computer and like my stuff to get set up. I needed to pull in a little bit of money to kind of help for some bills, but his income is what provided for us. And so I was like, okay, well, the leadership bonuses I'm making, and if I go live once a week, like it'll cover the bills and give us a little bit of extra while we're going through this transition, trying to spend time together as a family, packing and moving, taking a trip across country with our family before my husband has to, you know, get shipped off. So when that happened, my business kind of took a little bit of a fall. Well, at the same time, Bomb Party was trying to switch (laughs) the website that we were using, which I talked to you a little bit about. LuLaRoe did the same thing. (laughs) Yeah. And it really screwed a lot of reps. And eventually they ended up like, okay, this is hurting, you know, the reps, the reps are flipping out, getting mad. So we're going to go back to the old system. So we did, but like kind of the damage was already done. And that moment is kind of when people started jumping ship, trying TikTok. And just trying anything to make extra money. And then that's when TikTok took off. Ah, okay. I hate TikTok. (laughs) I loathe the platform. I thought it was horrid. But anyway, so I was still holding on to Facebook. And I wasn't really interested in trying something new while I'm going through all these changes with my family. And so my sales kind of plummeted, whatever. But I was still getting good bonuses from my team. Well, at this time, I decided, okay, well, I know that I'm not going to be able to go live and sell as much as I was. And I'm making money for my team. And I personally am the type of person, like, I kind of had issue with making money that I didn't deserve. So as I was leading the team, and I'm starting to make these bigger and bigger paychecks, I was like, well, crap, I want to help them. I want to earn this income that I'm making. So I started making these training videos, which I actually had started probably November of 2020. Cause as I started recruiting people, I realized that the bomb party university didn't have the tools that people needed to get their business up and running. Like how to create a Facebook business page, how to use Facebook algorithms and like what to do and how to post and engagement and just business knowledge in general, because honestly, with a lot of these MLMs, which I know a lot of people relate, a lot of people come into this that are not business savvy. They're looking for something fun, or they're looking for the discount on the product that they like, or whatever it might be. And so they come in to start this business, and they don't have any business knowledge. The corporate side of things sometimes don't provide that information. Oftentimes don't. They definitely don't provide the support most most I've heard. Bomb Party definitely didn't have the resources. And they also, at the same time, in their defense, they grew really fast. I mean, it was kind of like they were like pedaling against the current, you know? And so it was all happening so fast. Teams were growing so big. And then TikTok happened. And then it was just even worse. And then inventory issues. People couldn't get inventory. Stuff was selling out before reps could even get it. It was just this really crazy situation. So I was like, I can provide this. I'm really good at it. So I would do trainings for my team on various different things. I would make infographics for them. I was kind of like known for that. And I had people not even on my team, leaders, 
elsewhere, not even on my leg, the corporate leg coming to me, asking me for help or us working together to kind of help their team. Because I just, in general, just want to see people succeed. And like, I know that Bomb Party in the beginning allowed my family to live a life that made sense for our situation where I could be home and drive to Timbuktu all over the place to pick up the kids and drop them off and not have to worry about taking time off when Johnny would have, you know, free time and like all this other stuff. And so I didn't mind putting the time in to do stuff like that for my team, because once I created the video, I didn't have to answer the 20,000 questions or retrain all of the new reps and like the new reps that were joining under me and under my downlines, they could tag them in those videos. They could send them those videos. So now everyone's time that they would be using to spend on training these people because there wasn't the resource in the back office yet. And also a lot of problems that I know a lot of people have in MLMs is like the leadership and their uplines and we're not your boss and it's not our job, but you're making lots of money. So why not have the responsibility to help these people? Right. You know, and not everybody thinks that way. This kind of volunteer work, MLMs rely really heavily on it. You know, you say you're feeling guilty, like, oh, I want to give back. I know some secrets that'll help other people be successful, help my team be successful in the long run, even help me. So I don't have to continuously ask and answer these same exact questions and go through these same exact entry, like welcome to the team kind of things. So you start to create supplemental education that's even more insightful and better than the education that they have because it's so personalized. It's how to do this on this certain thing and how to set up this and like specific things to your team that is so helpful and so successful that other people are sharing it cross line, upline, downline on all other different teams as well. Yeah. I mean, people knew, they may not have known my name or my business, but they know what Team Bling It On is. I mean, it's wild how much work you did unpaid. I can't tell you how many hours I put in to creating trainings and helping my team and conversations I had with even corporate like field development managers, answering questions about like what the field needs and what's missing and whatever. And you know what really pissed me off though, Roberta, is when I would talk to these field development managers that really did, because a lot of them weren't MLM before, right? They understand the frustration and they understand the the way the hierarchy pyramid works. Okay. And they, most of them really did want to help. They were told you need to get in a corporate mindset and stop thinking like a rep. Well, because the corporate mindset in an MLM is this is a pyramid scheme and we can't let anybody know. So we're going to tell them that it's not, and those are illegal. And we have to keep making sure that everybody doesn't figure out our scam. Because as soon as you start implementing things that make things run better, the pyramid scheme, the scam, everything is exposed because the scam needs people to be willfully ignorant about it to maintain its longevity. Which I feel is why the training isn't necessarily there. Yes, absolutely. And at Bomb Party, the turnover rate in the corporate office. I mean, we don't even need to discuss the rep turnover rate. You know, like everybody knows what that looks like and the 1% and all that stuff. You've fully educated a lot of people on that, um, whether they want to believe it or not, whatever. But (laughs) within corporate, the turnover rates of these companies, I would imagine is pretty crazy unless you're freaking related to them, I guess. But the turnover rate for like the presidents of the company or 
or the turnover rate for the financial vice president or who, whatever is like, it's insane. People would come in and try to make things better, try to make things compliant. And then reps were losing money or they didn't like the way that they did things because they weren't hunky dory family, sunshine, rainbows up your ass. And so then they would get fired. Now, did some people have real issues with some of the people in, in corporate because like, what? yeah, fine, whatever. Like, yeah, there's an expectation of maintaining this culture within the company and like this feeling, but <laughs> legality and actually providing information, resources, and education for the field and for other corporate employees should not be put on the back burner because you want to maintain an image. And that's what I feel was happening. Oh, absolutely. So they used to have all these things in place to prevent people from violating what I feel were put in place to protect the company and reps from FTC violations. And then they got rid of a lot of them. And then now they don't even like that policy handbook is basically toilet paper. They don't even adhere to it unless, which we'll get into, you're somebody somebody doesn't like or you know, the CEO doesn't like you or someone else in corporate doesn't like you or one of the friends of the corporate employees doesn't like you, then they're going to use the policy to find reasons to fire you, even though the stuff that they're getting rid of you for is the same shit everybody else does. So let's get into that because you even doing something positive makes you a squeaky wheel. Now there's some attention on you because, oh, Amber makes the best education stuff. Have you seen Amber's video? Let me show you this thing that my friend Amber made. And even getting that little bit of attention can oftentimes put a target on your back, even for being like too good, right? You can't be too good and you can't be too bad. There is this really strange middle ground that everybody sort of has to tiptoe around to not make any waves. So you squeaky wheel making waves. What happened? <laughs> it's just so annoying to me because I've had conversations with people and they're like, yeah, like if you speak up against what corporate says and like what they call the active rep group, which is a private group on Facebook where people go to get information, but you better not have an opinion or you get bullied, you get ostracized, the freaking CEO will come at you. Like even if what you're saying makes sense, even if the questions you're asking are legitimate questions about your fucking business that you've invested in. This isn't the place. You need to submit a ticket. Okay, submit a ticket to then get responded to maybe in three to six months, maybe, or get some stupid response. Thank you for your suggestion. We'll throw it in the trash pile over to the left. You know, no. And I was never that person. I was the person that people would ask questions and I would answer them. Then about, I want to say six months to a year in, I had a conversation with a sideline of mine who was not liked by corporate. Like they hated her because she was outspoken and she would ask questions and whatever. Like she and I got along fine, but I, at the time was like, I didn't disagree with what she was asking, but I was like, girl, you are going down a road that you're going to have a target put on your back because she was rocking the boat too much. And I, about a year after I started, I had a conversation with her because we started right around the same time. We kind of were always kind of neck and neck and whatever with sales and recruiting and whatever. But she was like, you kind of come off as a know-it-all. And I was like, well, I do know a lot. <laughs> it's like, it's my business. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I'm a leader. <laughs> like, is that not my job to know? And she's like, yeah, but... 
people just view as like, you think you're a know-it-all. It's like, okay, well, I'm just trying to like, genuinely, I'm just trying to help. I do make it my business to know things because I want to help people, whether they're on my team or not also for my own freaking business. And so after I had that conversation with her, I was like, you know what? Thanks for like being honest with me about that. Cause that's who I am as a person. Like you want to have a conversation, whether we like each other or not, I get along with people that, you know, are favorites with corporate. I get along with people that aren't, I get, you know, I, I can get along with anybody to be honest with you. Just let's be real with each other. <laughs> so I was like, thank you for telling me. And after that, I really stepped back. I mean, I was just watching. I didn't ever comment on active rep group. I didn't really ever comment on like the bomb party corporate page when I was in the, you know, field zooms or whatever. I rarely would comment except to be like, yeah, it's the most amazing thing ever. Oh my God. (laughs) Bomb party. So amazing. They love us so much. Like whatever, like everyone else was doing, but I did not rock the boat. So when people came for me, I knew it was a jealousy issue. I was recognized at the first convention by the team uplines Um, I got like an honorable mention award. Why? Because I wasn't selling and I wasn't recruiting, but I was busting my ass helping and training my team and other people. And my uplines knew that and respected that about me. I also pretty much got along with everyone. Now, maybe they're being fake ass bitches to, to my face and talking shit about me behind my back or whatever it might be. But I felt like I pretty much liked and got along with everybody. And I, and I know, I know how people are. I'm not oblivious to that, but I I really was in la la land, I guess. In July of 2022, I was minding my business, scrolling on Facebook. And I saw this public post of an OnlyFans account in a public group with a link to my Uplines OnlyFans page. (sighs) I am not a judgmental person. You want to hang upside down on monkey bars in your bedroom? I do not care. But it was public. And so I was concerned for her reputation as a leader in this company. She was seen interacting with the CEO and stuff. So I'm like, Lillian has to see this, the CEO. Like, my team's going to see this. Like, what the hell? My original upline had left. Various different things that happened. They ended up leaving for personal reasons. Some of it was they didn't agree with some of the collections that were coming out. They were religious. And some of the motifs in, like, Magic is in You collection. Um, <laughs> witchcraft. Some of the eye motifs. Right. Yes. Right, right, right. Witchcraft, the eye motifs. The evil eye and everything. Yeah, all that stuff. Right. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Then anyways, I mean, well, I could see like I have friends that have OnlyFans accounts and some of them are out and proud and some of them keep it a secret. Yeah. And so knowing your upline and scrolling and seeing this, there could be cause for concern like, oh, my gosh, does she know this is public? Did she want to keep this private? Right. I don't know. Maybe I should let her know. I mean, for me, that seems like concern. And then there's two ways. You can either be like, yeah, it's meant to be public surprise or, oh, my gosh, thank you so much. Let me make that private. It's not a huge deal. I also think that like most people are kind of understanding of, you know, let people do what they want to do and are mostly sex positive about things. So, yeah, it's not really that big of a deal to see that. But there definitely are people who like to keep that side private. So seeing that, especially if you had never seen it before, could be jarring and you could be like, hey, heads up. I totally get that. I'm right there with you. All right, please continue. So I was concerned. My friend 
Jessica and I, we were friends because of Bone Party. Someone tagged her in my video and she watched and she was a customer, but like we were friends like beyond that, you know, like if I'm not there, where the fuck is Amber? If she wasn't there, where's Jess? And if we weren't there together, like where are they at? You know, I mean, it, it was that kind of friendship, literally on the phone, FaceTime or audio message all freaking day long from morning until night. Okay. She got popular, went viral because she was doing tumblers because she's a freaking tumbler ninja. Okay. Like even to this day, she and I don't talk, whatever. I ain't going to buy a tumbler from someone else because I know where the best ones are. That's not like we didn't become friends because of that. So then I can get her on my team and whatever. We were genuinely friends. She would message me like, Hey, what do you think about this Cause business conversation? We were, we're friends because of business, you know? And then it turned into friendship in life and business. And then she joined my team and then things just blew up and went crazy and amazing. Right. Like she, she was kind of the one that was bringing people in and then I had all the training. So it was a partnership. I mean, it was a great freaking partnership that made us both very successful in the company. But I went to her and I was talking to her and I was, cause we're best friends. We tell you, we talk about everything. I was like, I found this and I don't know what the fuck to do. I was like, I would want to know. I would want someone to tell me. And so ultimately that's what I ended up doing. Ultimately I messaged her. I had the screenshot and I said, Hey, I don't know if you know this or not. And I even said, I don't give a crap what you do with your time, body, nighttime activities with your husband, without, I do not care. I just want to let you know that this is public. She came back and said, she didn't know it wasn't her. Her page was hacked, blah, 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 whatever her excuse story, whatever was, whether it's true or not, that's between her and Jesus. I was like, whatever. I did my part. I told you and I'm done with it. And then I also, in the same conversation, I told her, I was like, and this is why I'm concerned about this. And I told her about the things that people had said about their concerns with her professionalism regarding lack of undergarment and whatever she was doing. And so if I'm being honest, like full disclosure, I had to grapple with that myself too, just like out of my own judgment in my brain. And ultimately what I decided was like, I don't give a shit. Um, but as far as business goes and dealing with you know, downlines and silence and corporate and like just the, the the view of the situation. I just wanted to tell her. I mean, it is a very interesting thing because this has come up before in other conversations, but like MLMs don't have an HR department. You know what I mean? Right. So like if you're at a regular job and someone is maybe wearing something that's not dress code or inappropriate or you have a problem, you can go to the HR and say, hey, and, and you have this level of anonymity. Right. There's a whole department for it. Mm -hmm. And then that person says, hey, look, this is, you got to make sure that you're doing X, Y, Z, but MLMs don't have that. And so whether it's personal differences or whether it's professional differences or whether it's, I saw you do this or you said this and this little cattiness, this mean girl culture, it just bubbles. It just bubbles and bubbles. And there's no one there to step in and say, Hey, this is kind of unprofessional. Hey, we, we really shouldn't be doing this. Hey, can we act accordingly? Can we do it this way? Can we be like this? That's not there. It's literally like in mean girls the lunch scene where they're all fighting each other like lions. It's like that it really is. I feel like anybody that's gotten out of an MLM, especially if they've experienced these sort of like catty fights, you watch mean girls and it's just, you just have a whole new appreciation for it. It's a whole nother thing. I've always hated that movie because I, even in high school when it first came out, I was, I don't want to say I was a target of the mean girls, but I definitely witnessed it. What's funny about you saying that I was kind of sitting here laughing about this movie is um, my girls watched it after I was no longer with Bomb Party. And 
I was just sitting there watching it. And it like literally I was like raging inside <laughs> watching the stupid freaking movie because it's exactly how it is. And it's like, but these are adults is the difference. Also, there has to be some level of responsibility with corporate and their accountability and how they handle these situations because it now this bullying affects people's business. It affects people's lives. It affects people's families. And I have direct experience in all of that. Thank you so much for listening to Life After MLM. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. And follow us on social media at Life After MLM Podcast or visit our new website at lifeaftermlmpod.com. You can find all of the links to follow in our show notes. Life After MLM is produced by Roberta Blevins. Audio editing is done by the lovely Kayla Craven. Video editing by the indescribable RK Gold. And Michelle Carpenter is our triple emerald princess of robots. If you have a story about a cult, fraud, scam, or MLM and want to be on the show, please hit us up. We would love to help you tell your story and start your healing journey in life after MLM. See you next time, Huns.